Jesus says here. He says, go into a quiet room and pray to your father who is in secret. He sees you. He knows you. And he will reward you. You're listening to the sermon series, Matthew, the Gospel of the Kingdom, preached at King's Cross Church. For more audio or theological content, please visit thekingscrosschurch.com. As we come to God's word, let's do so with thanksgiving uh, because we are very grateful to have God's completed revelation available to us. Let's come with reverence, recognizing that these are the very words to us from our Father who is in heaven. And let us come with joy, knowing that God's promises are sure and we have a hope as we sing that does not disappoint. And finally, let us come desiring to live out the truths that we will learn today, knowing that blessings do follow those who are obedient. May we echo the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119. He says, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. We are halfway through the most famous sermon in the Bible, the Sermon on the Mount. If you're just joining us today, uh, last week we began chapter 6 and we looked at uh, the first of three sections where Jesus addresses uh, hypocrisy in some common areas. Last week, we saw hypocrisy uh, in our righteousness, particularly through giving. Uh, today, we're seeing hypocrisy in prayer. And then uh, later on, we'll see hypocrisy in fasting. Ryan preached the last two Sundays, uh, and he kicked off chapter 6 really well. Uh, we looked at the worldly way of giving versus how God commands us to give. Uh, and we ended with three application points last Sunday. Uh, first, if you're not giving get started. Uh, there is no excuse not to be giving of your time, your talents, and your treasure. Secondly, we are to give in a way as the Bible tells us to, not out of compulsion or guilt, but cheerfully, generously, going above and beyond. And then thirdly, we are to give the true gift that all Christians have been given, and that is to share the gospel. Now, with all of this, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, remember what Jesus' main point is, that these qualities and actions mark those who are citizens of God's kingdom. And this sermon is so much more than a do this, but don't do that type of message. That's maybe how the world would describe it, but that is not what's happening here. Do you remember what Philip said to the Lord in John 14, he said, Lord, show us who? The Father, and it is enough for us. How did Jesus respond? He said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so in this sermon, we see the attributes of the Father revealed to us. We see how he loves his children. We see what kind of relationship that we have with him. 
This, in fact, is seen in these first 18 verses of chapter 6. Nine times we hear the words, your father. And once we hear, our father. And especially in verses 25 through 34, we see how the father cares for his children. So this kind of relationship between a father and a child must be present before any of us will have a desire to obey these words. And so as we come to Jesus's words on prayer this morning, we know this is a large topic as we think about prayer in scripture. Uh, There's some statistics in our own country that are interesting. The Pew Research Center did a very large in-depth survey back in 2014, about nine years ago. And the opening research says that uh, based on a survey sample of about 35,000 adults, 55% pray daily. Now, this is almost 10 years old, so I'm assuming that it has gone down a little bit. Uh, But based on this survey, we see that prayer is an important part of many, many people's lives here in the U.S. And if you expand that across the world, of course, that only grows. But the question we need to ask, the question, though, is to whom are these people praying? Or to what are they praying? What are they praying about? How are they praying? Because we hear Several meaningless phrases that people like to throw around. They say things like, well, you know, I'm going to send good thoughts your way or good vibes. Good vibes your way. That's just silly because your thoughts are just going to stay in your own head. They're not going to go anywhere. You can't send them. And then there's a very, they're very popular phrase that we often hear uh, from those reporting the news when there's a disaster, right? Our thoughts and prayers go out to those who are affected. Who are you praying to? We don't know, but there's prayers going out. Um, You have millions of people in our country that are praying to a false deity, to demons disguised as gods. So all kinds of things happening, but then you can come all the way back around to true Christians who desire to commune with God through prayer, understanding the power of it, and how God has given it as a gift to us to grow our faith for his glory. John Bunyan, the well-known Puritan author, pastor who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he has this definition of prayer. Quote, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate, pouring out of the heart or soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit. For such things as God has promised or are according to his word, for the good of the church, with submission in faith to the will of God. It's a good definition. We pour out our hearts and souls to the Lord. We can only do that through Christ. We can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what do we pray for? We pray trusting in God's promises. We pray according to what he has given us in his word. That's for our our own good, for the good of the church. We do this in submission and in faith to the will of God. And so this morning, we want to grow in our understanding of prayer. And we have to look at the heart of the matter. We have to look at our own motives in prayer. And so my desire for us this morning is that this, like every sermon, like every time we come to God's word, that this is not just head knowledge. You don't walk away just saying, well, that was really interesting. I learned something new. But know that this penetrates your heart 
you have a renewed desire to live this way. So today we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. Uh, and then after our Christmas series, uh, there's going to be some folks staying around here after the service to decorate the church for Christmas. Uh, and then we're going to start our Advent series next Sunday. We're going back. If you remember, we skipped parts of Matthew 1 and Matthew chapter 2 to save it for Christmas time. So we're going to go back and study through that. And then after our Advent series, we're, we're going to come to what is really the application of Jesus' words here, the, what is called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to save that until after our Advent series. Jesus, in these verses, is telling us, in a sense, how not to pray. And then with the Lord's Prayer, he tells us this is how you should pray. This is the manner that you should be praying in. So our points this morning, if you'd like to take note, there's just two overarching points. Very simple. First, we're going to see the audience of our prayers in verses 5 and 6. And also the content of our prayers in verses 7 through 8. We're going to see that Jesus gives us here two attributes of hypocritical prayer, but also two remedies for this hypocrisy. And so in verse 5, we begin where Jesus says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What do they like to do? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. For what reason? That they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So the first attribute is that they desire to be seen and heard by others. Their audience is wrong. They want to be seen by men. And they can do this in two ways. They love to stand and pray, both in the synagogues and on the street corners. Those are the two most public places that you can get to in Jewish life. And there's some other passages in the Gospels that shed some light on this. First, just about the posture of praying. You see here that these folks stand. We also see this in Mark 11:25. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, you are to do this. And this, of course, is a little different from our normal posture of prayer. You've maybe grown up and, and practiced. You know, we fold our hands, we close our eyes, and we bow our heads in reverence to who God is. But the Jews prayed, especially in the New Testament times, they prayed very differently. They prayed standing up. That was the common way to pray. In fact, you may have seen this picture that comes from, this is the modern picture that comes from the Wailing Wall. Jews, they're standing and praying. This is very similar to what was happening back then as well. In the Old Testament, we see uh, people standing and praying. We see people kneeling and praying. And we also see sometimes when they're just full flat on the ground uh, praying. But in the New Testament, this was the common way to pray to the Lord. And so it's not necessarily that Jesus is saying, well, you're standing and you're wanting to be noticed. That's not the point there. That was just the, the common way that they prayed. Uh, the synagogue, of course, was that public place as well as the street corner. Uh, and another passage that sheds some light about how these hypocrites were praying is Luke 18 verse 11. It's a verse that you're probably familiar with. It gives us an example of the pride and the boasting that marked these hypocrites. Remember the Pharisee standing by himself. He prayed like this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Did you know that? Not once, twice. I give tithes of all that I get. 
Very arrogant and prideful. But just like we've seen in most of chapter 5, we saw a corruption of God's good laws. And we see here in this time that prayer had been corrupted as well. Uh, William Barclay, he points out several corruptions that had taken place. I'll just give you two of them. Uh, First, prayer had turned into a ritual where you're just repeating certain phrases. You've memorized them. You're, You're repeating these certain prayers at certain times. And they're often said without thinking or without caring about what was being said. For those of you that maybe grew up or had a history with the Roman Catholic Church, this may be very similar. There's some common prayers that they prayed the, the, that came out of the Old Testament. The first would be a prayer that you all would know well. It's called the Shema. It starts with, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then they would go and they would pray several verses from Deuteronomy and also the book of Numbers. But another common prayer that you might not have heard of is called the Shemineh. And it was... 18 prayers that were to be prayed all throughout the day, certain points of the day, certain occasions, morning, afternoon, and night. And faithful Jews would pray all 18 of them every day. And it reminded me of Islam and Muslims who are uh, to pray five times a day. And quite a while ago, I had the privilege to spend a month in Indonesia. And so that was... Um, up close and personal to that very much. It's very loud. It's very public, the call to prayer. Can't get away from it. And in uh, Islamic society, they created places all over the place for faithful Muslims to go and pray at the call to prayer. And so uh, if you are in a, a store, you're in a restaurant, you're in some other public place, there's always going to be a special spot where They can go, they can kneel, they can pray, uh, and be faithful in that. It's all over the place. And so this is something also similar to what the Jews were doing. The Jews would stop whatever they were doing during the day, and they would pray. They would take time to do it. And so when Jesus says that they were standing on the street corners, that makes sense. Because as they were walking, if it was time to pray, they would just stop, and they would pray. The interesting thing, though, is that the Greek word here for street It doesn't mean a small side street. It specifically means a wide, broad street, a thoroughfare that would have a lot of traffic. And so these hypocrites, they would purposely stop at streets that had much, as much traffic as possible. So they'd be looking at their watch and they'd say, oh, it's almost time to pray. I can't stay here. I got to go quickly, quickly over to this other street where everybody is. So they can see me praying. The second corruption that had happened was overly long prayers. Thinking that the longer you prayed, the more it would catch God's ear and it would convince him. And Jesus mentions this in Mark 12, verse 40 where he has a very strong indictment against the scribes and Pharisees. He says that these people devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. And then he says they will receive a greater condemnation. Now, there's nothing wrong with a long prayer in and of itself. But the problem is, is that the longer the prayer, the more chance there is 
for meaningless repetition, for memorized statements, for cliche things. This can creep into our own prayers as well. And then when that happens, then the prayer has lost its meaning. And sometimes it can be just for show. Do you remember how Ryan defines a hypocrite from last Sunday? As somebody who puts on one mask, takes it off, puts on another mask. It's pretending. And that's what was happening here. These people are pretenders. They are pretending to be pious, to show their supposed devotion, to show off their memorization skills, all in the sight of others, not to bring glory to the Lord, but to bring glory to themselves. How does Jesus respond to this? Well, he says at the end of verse 5, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And so he's saying, oh, oh, you like all the attention that you're getting? Congrats. That's your reward. You will have no heavenly reward from your heavenly father. This does not please him at all. So that's what was happening. So what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is to change your audience. To change your audience. There was a popular song uh, probably a decade or, or ago or more. It was called The Audience of One. It's by Big Daddy Weave. Very strange name. Uh, but I really liked that song when it played on the radio back then. And that's a little bit about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you should only be concerned about one being, seeing and hearing your prayers, and that is your Father. If you truly desire to bring your praise, to bring your confession, to bring your requests and your supplications to God, you will do it in the quietness of your own heart. You will care only about the Lord. You will have no desire to pray loud, long, and lofty prayers in the view of others. Jesus says here, he says, go into a quiet room and pray to your father who is in secret. He sees you. He knows you, and he will reward you. We could have a couple of thoughts here on verse 6 in Jesus' words. Go into your room and shut the door and pray. There's the idea that is, I think, maybe made popular in recent years of a prayer closet or um, thanks to a, a Christian movie, a war room, where you go in and you pray. And it's not wrong, of course, to have a place a private place that you should go and pray. That's all. That's very good. Uh, but sometimes there's been a little bit too much emphasis put on that and it's been over-spiritualized. And so there's this idea, well, I have this holier room in my house and I go in there and God does amazing things. You don't even know. You don't even know what he's going to do. But I go into this room and I pray. But that's missing the point here. And so don't walk away from the sermon today and say, well, you know, I've got to clear out my closet redesign my house a little bit so I have this specific room. It's okay if you want to do that, but that's not the point. The point is, is that Jesus is contrasting what is going on here. He's contrasting the loud, arrogant, public nature of prayer that has the wrong motives. And he's saying, no, this needs to be done in a godly way, in a private, secret way to our Father. We know that Jesus himself demonstrated this. Several times we're told that he went off by himself somewhere 
and quiet to pray. And so when we come to him with the right heart attitude, he will reward us. That's a promise we have here. And Ryan gave some great insights on rewards last Sunday. I won't repeat those, but uh, Jesus here doesn't tell us in any way what kind of reward this is, but we can know that he will bless us and he will work through our prayers as we come to him in humility, 100%. And then the second thought, just to bring out very briefly, is that in saying this, Jesus is not outright condemning public prayer at all. In fact, as we come to the Lord's Prayer after Christmas, the first words that he uses is our Father. That implies that we are corporately coming and praying together. And in 1 Timothy, we're commanded as part of the Sunday gathering to have public corporate prayer. So he's not condemning public prayer, but he is condemning the attitude of arrogance and uh, being a hypocrite behind that. And so that's the first attribute. You have the wrong audience. That needs to change. You desire to be seen and heard by others when you should only desire what your heavenly father thinks of you. But the second point to look at is the content of our prayers. That's verses 7 through 8. He says the content of your prayer is wrong. It's mindless. It's meaningless. It has no substance Jesus says here, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And the NIV translates it at, as a, do not keep on babbling like pagans. And that's a good translation because the Greek word here has the idea of stammering or stuttering, using idle words that will eventually lead to babbling nonsense. And you can imagine what an insult this would be to these hypocrites. Oh, you're saying that I pray like a Gentile? Are you kidding me? How rude is that? But it's true. And pagan religions are full of this. If you spent some time overseas, if you've had any experience with other religions, you know that this often happens where there's a certain phrase that will be said over and over and over again to ward off spirits. Buddhists will spin the prayer wheels over and over and over again, hoping that somehow as those prayers are spinned around that they will go up into the ether and they will cause good things to happen to them. I've seen it in the Russian Orthodox Church where the priest would repeat the phrase, Lord have mercy over and over and over and over again in his prayers. It's also common in the new age as well to have your mantra that you constantly repeat to yourself. It even unfortunately pops up in charismatic and Pentecostal churches as well where there's a tendency to repeat words or phrases over and over again. And then when you throw in an unbiblical understanding of tongues, you do end up, as we see, from, with babbling nonsense. But there's other places in the Bible that give us examples of that. The, this, this pagan repetition, uh, the first is in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. You know this story. It's the uh, Elijah with the prophets of Baal. In verse 26, we read this. It says, And they took the bull that was given 
them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of the Baal from, uh, of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And so they just limped around the altar, just very pitifully, limped around that altar that they had made. It's a horrible sight. They had no answer from their false deity, even though they spent hours repeating, Oh, Baal, answer us. There's an example in the New Testament as well. The book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 34. There was a riot that was started in Ephesus by a man named Demetrius, the silversmith. And many people had believed in the Lord. They were turning away from idols. They were even burning books of magic in the street. And Demetrius was very angry with Paul with what was happening. He was angry because he was losing money. He was losing business. And so he incited a riot. And in verse 34, we read this. For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Over and over and over again. So we see this repetition in many places. But you notice here, back to verse 7, you notice that In this verse, he doesn't mention hypocrites again. And so this shows that those who used repetition weren't necessarily hypocrites, but it still involved a wrong heart. The hypocrites were prideful and loud, but those who use meaningless repetition, they don't really care about a real relationship with God without actually speaking to him in an understandable way. They're just hoping, as Jesus says here, by their many words that some would be magical and they would reach the ear of God. We do have good examples of repetition in God's word. Paul repeated a couple times about his, in his prayer about the Lord to remove his thorn in the flesh. Also, there's a parable that Jesus tells of the persistent widow, and this widow is commended for her persistence. And then, of course, we have Jesus' prayer himself in the garden where he prays three times. May this cup pass from me. Not my will, but yours be done. So the difference, though, is these prayers are thoughtful. They're sincere. They're heartfelt. Not just words repeated over and over. Warren Wearsby wrote, quote, with some people, praying is like putting a needle on a vinyl record and then forgetting about it. Just letting it spin around and around. But God does not answer insincere prayers, end quote. And so what's the remedy for this? Well, the content of your prayer must be marked by sincerity and simplicity. Jesus says, do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is saying, you cannot convince God to do anything. You cannot convince him with your many words. He won't be bullied into answering you. He already knows what you need. And he will reward sincere prayer. He will answer you according to his will. John MacArthur says here, quote, Prayer is sharing the needs, burdens, and hunger of our hearts before our Heavenly Father, who already knows what we need, but who wants us to ask him. He wants to hear us. He wants to commune with us more than we could ever want to commune with him. 
because his love for us is so much greater than our love for him. Prayer is giving God the opportunity to manifest his power, majesty, love, and providence. More than we would ever want to commune with him, he desires to commune with us. Now, some of you may be thinking here, well, why? Why should I pray if God knows everything and he is sovereign over all things? Well, for two reasons. The first is very simple. We pray because we are commanded to pray. This is one of the ways we have a relationship with our Father. But secondly, we pray because God, in the mystery of his providence, he works through our prayers. Over and over in Scripture, we have examples of people praying and the Lord answering them, providing for them. Do we believe that God determines all things? Yes. The answer is yes, in case you're wondering. Yes, we do. <laughs> but we do not believe in fatalism. Fatalism says, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't have to do anything. Everything's all predetermined for me, so why bother? That's the wrong sinful attitude that the Bible does not teach. I read an article on this, and the article said, in part, Basically, to say that we don't need to pray because God has determined all things is as ridiculous as saying, well, I don't need to take medicine. I don't need to work for a living. I don't need to go and try and find a spouse because all of those things are already predetermined. It's silly. It is true that God has determined all outcomes, but God has also determined the means by which those outcomes will take place. So he's given us prayer as a means to work through. He works through our prayers. And so the believer will desire the things of the Lord and will pray according to the Lord's will for him or her. And so both prayer and God's sovereignty work perfectly together for our good and for his glory. Do we totally understand it? No, we don't. But that's all right. That's all right. We come in humility to the Lord. And friends, these verses really show us the loving heart of our Father. He knows what we need. You take some time to meditate and to think about that. Do you have trust and confidence in that? When we come to him humbly and sincerely, do we believe that he hears us? Brothers and sisters, he does. He does. And there's another aspect of this is he perfectly does that. He hears our prayers. He hears our complaints, our problems, our worries, our fears, our secret thoughts. And he will never slander us. He will never gossip about us. He will never let anything slip. It's impossible for him. He is perfect in hearing our prayers. And we can have full assurance of this. And not only does he hear our prayers, but he answers them. It's incredible. It's mind-boggling. And so this morning we've seen some attributes of a hypocritical prayer but also the remedies for it. And so let's look now to a couple points of application. Psalm 32, 
Uh, verse 6, the beginning of the verse says this, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And so our first application point is this. Ask God to grow you in your desire to pray. Just as it is assumed in the previous verses that godly people were giving, so here it is assumed that godly people are praying. J.C. Ryle says, quote, Jesus teaches us plainly that prayerless people are not genuine Christians. It is not enough to join the prayers of the congregation on Sundays or attend the prayers of a family on weekdays. There must be private prayer also. Without this, we may be outward members of Christ's church, but we are not living members of Christ. True and sobering words. But what contributes to a lack of a desire for prayer? Well, it could be a couple things. It could be because your focus is on yourself. You have pride, you have other sins in your life, and you've neglected to come to God daily in adoration and praise and confession, thanksgiving and supplication, recognizing that he is the giver of all good things. And something else that may contribute to a lack of desire is that your prayers have become stale. You may think, oh, my prayers are really boring. You find yourself saying the same things over and over again. And then you also, like, like me, you find that your mind is so prone to wander when you are praying. Well, the solution to both of these issues is to come in humility to God's word and to pray through it. Pray through the Psalms. Pray the prayers of Paul. Pray through the commands in the epistles in the New Testament. And when you do that, you will find that not only will your prayers not be boring, but your knowledge of God's word will grow. You will look at these passages in a new way, and the Holy Spirit will be faithful to sanctify you through it. Let's look at an example of this. Turn to Psalm 27 with me, if you would. Psalm 27. This has been one of my favorite psalms since I was about 11 years old. And the reason why it was 11 years old, and I've said this before, was, but that when I was 11, uh, well, we have these surprising things in California called earthquakes. Uh, and at ele- when I was 11, there was uh, a very large earthquake that struck near where we lived, and it caused buildings to collapse. It caused portions of the highway to collapse. Uh, our house was uh, not too damaged structurally, but it shook, shook us all around. It knocked everything off the walls and out of the cabinets, and everything was falling over. It was loud. It was very scary. Uh, and so I was, I was scared after that. And my parents, uh, good godly parents, they took me to God's word, and they said, Micah, you should uh, memorize Psalm 27, and you should memorize Psalm 139. And so Psalm 27 and 139 are two of my favorite psalms. And so as I was thinking uh, about praying through God's word, of course, these are two that would come to my mind. And so if you're in Psalm 27, these, this is just an example of how you can pray through the Psalms. As we look at these verses, you can say, Lord, you are the one who brings light and salvation to this world. But I praise you today because you have become my light and my salvation. I know that I have no need to fear anything in this world because my security is found in you. Thank you for being the stronghold of my life. I know that it is impossible 
for me to be liked by everyone in this world, especially when it comes to unbelievers. And so thank you for the protection and the confidence that you give, that in the last day, it is them who will stumble and fall, but I will be secure. Lord, I know that there are horrible things that could happen to me, but please give me a heart that will not fear. Lord, also, it's my desire to seek after you, to dwell in your house, to gaze upon your beauty. But I confess that my flesh and my sin that so easily entangles me leads me in the opposite direction. And there are times when I desire my sin more than you. Please forgive me of this, Lord, and grow me in my love for you, for your holiness, for your church, for the beauty of who you are. That's just the four, first four verses. But this will invigorate how you pray to the Lord. You'll be so edified and enriched if you do this, if you make this a practice. And in fact, there's a book that we recommended uh, over a year ago now. It's one of our books of the month. It's called Praying the Bible uh, by Don Whitney. It's very easy to read, uh, very simple, yet very profound and powerful. Uh, and he gives... He gives the tools to be able to pray through God's word. Uh, and I'd like to give this to one of you. Uh, if there's somebody here that um, really has a desire to grow in the way they pray and they come to the Lord, and if you promise to read it, uh, raise your hand and you can have it. This is actually our last copy. We have to order more. Okay, you were the first hand. There you go. You're welcome. Highly recommend that book. And also we're going to have another book uh, as we start the new year, um, that uh, actually helps us in this as well. So there'll be more options to get some good resources on that. So our first application point is asking God to grow you in your desire to pray. The second one for us today is ask God to sanctify uh, the way you pray. And really important verses on this subject come from Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 and 2. Solomon says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Like we said before, it's amazing that we can even come to God in prayer that we have this relationship with him. And so how dare we come to him in any pretense, any pride, being rash or being quick or careless in our prayers? Yes, he is our father, and we have this relationship with him. We have access to his throne as, as his child. But remember that he is also the God of heaven, and we are but dust. And so may he sanctify us in the way we pray, and this can also come out in your public prayers. Uh, we have a group of men that meet every other Thursday morning. We're, uh, it's a men's teaching group. And we're reading right now lectures to my students by Charles Spurgeon. And he says this in his chapter on public prayer. Quote, it is necessary in prayer to draw near unto God, but it is not required of you to prolong your speech till everyone is longing to hear the word, amen. End quote. And so as we've seen today, it is not the length of our prayers that matters, 
It's the sincerity and humility with which we come to God. And so this is a good moment for you to consider how do you pray in public? Do you find yourself repeating words over and over again? Do you find yourself praying too long, longer than those around you? Or do you not pray enough? Do you not like to pray in public? Does it make you nervous? Well, ask the Lord to grow you in these things because we should all be able to pray in public. We're commanded to do that, actually. We're commanded to proclaim who the Lord is in the midst of the congregation. One of the ways we do that is through our prayers together. Of course, through our singing and through our speech, but God has commanded us to do this, and so we need to grow in it. And We need to check our hearts and make sure that we're not desiring to impress anybody around us with large theological words or the length of our prayers or supposed piety and holiness that comes from our prayers. So ask God to grow you, to sanctify you. (laughs) Sorry, Daryl. Ask God to sanctify you in the way you pray. And then finally, ask God to be glorified through your prayers. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And then in the true Lord's Prayer, which is in John 17, He prays that the Father may be glorified through him. This is something we see often. Paul tells us in Romans 15 that we together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Almost every book of the Bible commands us to or describes how people have given glory to the Lord. And we even sing it in our songs. Be glorified. Today, be glorified, we pray. And so may this included, be included regularly when we pray, that as he lovingly shows his providence through our prayers, our desire will be to see him glorified above all. And for parents here and children here, this is not just for adults, this is for all of us. Children, or parents, we need to be teaching our children how to pray, how to come to the Lord Uh, Let's try and weed out the selfishness that so often comes in all of our prayers, but we often would see it very quickly in our children where they want this or they want that, and so their prayers are to that nature. Or maybe it's too one-sided. It's just, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And, of course, that's good, but we want to have all aspects of our prayers. First, adoring him for who he is and his attributes, coming in him to confession, praying for needs around us for other people, then praying for ourselves or praying, bringing our requests to him. But parents, we need to, uh, we need to do, a good jo- good, do a good job and step up in how we teach our children to pray. There's good books on that as well. Well, before we end today and we sing in response to God's word, there may be some of you here who are visiting or you just started attending. Uh, and I don't know you. I, I haven't read your testimonies. And so my hope is that you have truly repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, but you may be blinded. You may be trusting in your good works. You may not even care to really be here this morning. Uh, But I want to tell you this, and you need to know that the Lord does not hear or answer the prayer of an unbeliever unless that prayer is a prayer of repentance. Proverbs 15.29 says that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. 
And so you can come to him. You can come to God and ask for all sorts of things, for material things. You can ask him to fix something. You can ask him to change your situation. But in doing so, you're not coming as his child. You're actually coming as his enemy, separated from him. And our prayer to the Lord for you is that you would be made alive by God's spirit, by his power, that your eyes would be open to the depravity of your sin and your need for Jesus, and that you would respond in repentance and faith. Only then can you have the relationship that is being described here in these verses, that God is our father and that he knows what we need. That only applies for his children, not for anyone else. So, brothers and sisters, friends, may we be encouraged this morning as we see the attributes of our Father, but may we also grow in in looking at our own hearts and our own motives in both the audience of our prayers and the content of our prayers. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you now with a renewed reverence, a desire for humility to approach you as the God of heaven while we are on earth. Lord, thank you for these encouraging words that we have from Jesus this morning, knowing that you are our Father, you hear us, excuse me, you love us, we are your children, you know what we need, and you reward us as we come to you in obedience and sincerity. Help us to trust in you, Lord, to have confidence in these things. And please guard our hearts from pride, from any other motives in our prayers, whether it's to try and convince you to do something that's in our selfish hearts or if it's to be on display towards others or even falling to the trap of thinking if we repeat some certain phrase that you would act and hear us. Lord, may we be an example in this church of those who come to our Father. Grow us even in how we pray in public, Lord. I'm sure there's some in here. All of us, really, need to grow in this. But I pray specifically for those in here that may out of nerves not want to pray in public. And in a sense, Lord, we know that's also pride focusing on yourself, being worried about what others will think of you. Grow us in this, Lord, we pray. Thank you that your grace and mercy is available to us. Even in this, we know that we don't come perfectly to you ever. And so we're so glad that we have a mediator, we have an intercessor that goes before us. And that when we do not know what to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayer. And so we come in confidence to these promises today, Lord. Thank you that there is only one gospel in which our hope is found. There's only one gospel in which we proclaim. Even in glory, when we come to glory, we will still sing of the work of Christ. And so may we respond now with joy. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to our podcast, King's Cross Church meets at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. at the campus on Lena Road. If you have any questions or any prayer needs, don't hesitate to email us at info at thekingscrosschurch.com. God bless.